Hi guys, welcome to episode five of the Irish Balance podcast. I'm really, really excited for today's topic. Today, we're going to be talking about sustainability and diet, which is a topic that became very close to my heart and one I became quite passionate about sharing um, healthy messages around towards the end of the first semester of my master's. It was a topic that I ended up writing an essay on for one of my modules and also ended up doing um, a really interesting um, group presentation on, which I'll tell you guys about. And from having spent quite some time researching into this area, um, I realized how important it is. And actually in November, wrote an article on my blog about it. So I definitely recommend checking that out. But if you haven't read it, don't worry, we're going to expand on all of that in this episode today. So before we get started, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been tuning in and sending me messages um, and commenting and letting me know that they're really enjoying the podcast. It means the world and it makes me just so relieved and glad that I took the leap to start this um, audio platform for myself. So in case you haven't heard of me, my name is Kira. I'm an Irish girl and a qualified medical doctor. I write a blog called The Irish Balance and you'll find it at www.theirishbalance.com. And you'll also find me on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at The Irish Balance is my handle across all of those. After three years working in hospital medicine, I decided to pursue a full time master's in public health and nutrition because I'm really passionate about public health, preventative medicine and health promotion, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health through the food we eat, the physical activity we undertake, stress management, our sleep and our social well-being. And I want to show you we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles full of balance. And I really hope that you guys are loving my content as much as I'm loving creating it. So in today's episode, I'm going to give you the background to this topic, tell you a little bit about what sustainability is, how it relates to diet, why it's so important. And most importantly, I'm going to leave you with some simple, actionable tips that you can take into your day to day and your eating habits to try and be a little bit more sustainable. As I'm sure many of you know, there is a lot of misinformation, confusion and myths out there at the moment about nutrition and has been that way for probably the last two or three years, if not longer, as social media has taken an increasingly prominent role in everyone's life. Now, of course, my disclaimer here is always, you guys know I'm a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a dietitian. I did actually do a year of dietetics before medicine, but Chiefly and primarily, I'm a doctor, so I never stray out of lane when talking about food. But I think sustainability is a really big issue, and it's something I've had a conversation about with several dietitians. Um, I also attended a really great webinar run by the British Dietetic Association on diet sustainability last year. So what I'm trying to say is, it's, a doc it's an issue that applies to us all, and I've done quite a bit of homework on it. But this podcast is not going to be about diet prescription. It's not going to be about me telling you what you can and can't eat. That's never something I do. It's never something that's safe for a person to do online. And that all aside, my goal really is to get you guys to think about the bigger picture and to look at how our day-to-day -day lives can be applied to it. So it's January. I want to ask you this. Have you come across an article in the news or online promoting a January detox yet? I really hope not, but the likelihood is that you have, whether that's in broadsheet or social media, which is where I let out a big sigh. So as you can tell, I'm not a fan of the detox. It's not a word I use as a doctor or as a blogger or a public health gal, unless it's described to a patient or just the layperson, the natural function of your hardworking liver and kidneys. But unfortunately, every January, it's the word of the moment. When gym memberships go through the roof, everyone seems to be on some form of diet, on a New Year's resolution to get healthy, 
and by February gyms are empty and everyone's motivation is in their boots and people are just frustrated that they haven't made their healthy good lifestyle intentions a habit. And so I wanted to bring attention to this topic again because after writing about it in November there was so much feedback and really I think it's a message that needs to be reiterated particularly as we enter a new year and you'll probably have seen people doing veganuary or trying completely different diets, trying loads of different stuff purely because it's January. So I want you to join me in rejecting a January detox mentality because detoxes, among many things, are not sustainable. So in this article, I'm going to talk about sustainability, why it's an important aspect of diet and share some really simple tips for healthy eating for 2019 that are sustainable for your health and that of the environment. So on my blog homepage, you'll see the sentence, a journey to sustainable, healthy living, reflecting a journey I think I'm on and I think a lot of us are on. When I started my blog and until very recently, my use of the word sustainable referred to me and you guys at the individual level and how I was using my blog to help you on a journey to a healthier, more balanced life. But when I started my master's in September, I started a module called One Health, which really got me thinking about a whole new area of nutrition and opened my mind to an absolute wealth of global issues. One Health is a new specialty and it combines environmental health, human health and animal health. So it's kind of like a mishmash of veterinary medicine and human medicine and environmental science. It's absolutely fascinating. It really opened my mind to the major effect that how we live as humans has on our beautiful planet. And I'm sure many of you guys will have seen a lot of the headlines about plastic pollution and you guys may have your own reusable water bottles, reusable coffee cups, and you might have seen a lot of bloggers talking about it as well. And it is a big issue. Our global population is projected to hit 9.8 billion by 2050, according to the UN. And it's hard to see how that's going to change in the near future. So when we think about a rising population, we know that that means there's going to be an increased demand for food, both in developed and developing countries, which has led to a lot of intensification of farming and agriculture, water pollution, plastic pollution, overfishing, a loss of diversity of lots of different animal and fish species. And I could go on. So basically, the impact of human life on the health of the environment is pretty big. And so that was why I decided to write my essay for the module on sustainable diets and try and explore the effect of our current dietary patterns in Western societies, in developed countries, I mean, on the environment and look at what changes we can make and what changes have been proposed. It was absolutely fascinating. And as, as soon as I had my essay done, I couldn't wait to try and distill some of it into a blog post for you guys. I'm going to give a shout out here to the British Dietetic Association and a friend of mine who's a dietitian, Maeve Hannon. She's at Dietetically Speaking on Instagram and she has a lot of content on this area too. And the BDA are actually really leading the, air, the whole conversation in the UK around this. And I'm hoping to start it in Ireland too. So I guess the first question you guys might be wondering is, okay, Kira, what is a sustainable diet? And that's a really good question because it's only something that's very recently been defined from a consensus definition point of view. So the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization published their definition in 2010, which is probably the most comprehensive one that I've seen. And it's quite lengthy, but bear with me. Sustainable diets are felt to have a low environmental impact. They contribute to food and nutrition security, to healthy life for current and future generations. They're also felt to be protective and respectful of the environment and animal species and fish species while equally being acceptable to us as humans in various different cultures, accessible, fair economically, and therefore affordable, and at the same time be nutritionally adequate, safe, and healthy. A mouthful, I know, and I hear you. But don't worry, we will break it down, make it a little bit more simple. 
The way I see it, a sustainable diet or a sustainable eating pattern is one which meets your nutritional needs as a human being and therefore is optimal for your health and ideally will have a minimal impact on the environment and also contributes to generations of the future who are going to need probably more food than we do because there's going to be a lot more of them. Now, this is very much an active area of research um, and a lot of it is ongoing at the moment. So watch this space and you will probably continue to see a lot of headlines about this whole area. So why is this important? Why do sustainable diets matter? Why are they being talked about now? Well, as I've said, we know that there's a lot of us on the planet. We know that we all need to eat a lot. And we also do know that how our current food systems are working isn't working from a sustainability point of view. You might have heard of the term the carbon footprint, which basically refers to the carbon emissions that are estimated to result from particular foods. And you've probably seen a lot of headlines about meat and dairy being the greatest contributors of the carbon footprint of the food chain. And that's largely through measures of greenhouse gas emissions. You might have also seen people say that fruits, vegetables and plant-based foods are the lowest. So currently, the UN Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that total emissions from global livestock, and that's to produce meat, eggs and milk, contributes 14.5% of all human-generated greenhouse gas emissions. And cattle is felt to be the animal species responsible for most emissions. Overall food production worldwide is estimated to contribute about 20 to 30% of human greenhouse gas emissions. It's also the leading cause of loss of species, of animals and fish, deforestation, water and land use. So yes, it does have a big impact. That's the first issue. The second issue that I see is that worldwide, we currently have what's called a triple burden or a nutritional paradox. The triple burden being very high rates of overweight and obesity, malnutrition and micronutrient deficiencies. The WHO estimated in 2016 that globally more than 1.9 billion adults were overweight and of these over 650 million obese. And in contrast, 868 million people worldwide are chronically undernourished with an estimated 2 billion further suffering from micronutrient deficiencies. So we can see that the burden of nutrition related diseases globally exists at both ends of a pretty dramatic spectrum. And as you might have seen, overweight and obesity is the prevailing issue in developed westernized countries. So yep, that's Ireland, the UK, USA, Australia and many others. While in developing countries, malnutrition is the major issue. Additionally, a lot of these developing countries are going through kind of a transition where they're becoming more westernized, more industrialized, and their appetite, for want of a better word, for food sourced from animals is definitely on the rise as well. So it's a big challenge that we face in order to try and optimize our food systems to deliver food and nutritional security for these rapidly growing populations while minimizing the environmental environmental impact of this. A pretty big task, I know. Okay, so then if we go solution mode, which is what I like to do, a lot of you might have, like I say, seen Veganuary or seen a lot of your friends or maybe even family go vegetarian or vegan in the past year. It was probably one of the biggest trends of 2018 from a dietary point of view was vegetarianism and veganism. So should we all be going vegetarian or even more extreme, vegan? In short, my answer is no, but that's my short answer. And also worth mentioning here that anyone who's listening who is already vegetarian or vegan, this article that I wrote and also this podcast is not an attack on those diets and as many of you will know I am a huge advocate for the powerful potential health benefits of a plant-based diet and would call myself plant-based although I really don't like diet labels. 
I would say I'm plant-based based on the British Dietetic Association definition of it, which is one which is, and listen up, based on foods derived from plants, including vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, and fruits with few or no animal products. You guys might've heard of the term flexitarian, which is essentially the same thing, which has also been called semi-vegetarianism. Confused? Yeah, I don't blame you. It definitely gets me at times too. But the way I see it, they're all just terms to reference a more flexible approach to your diet, one where plants and not meat or animal foods in general are the focus. And that's the approach that I really like. Why? Well, because this particular pattern of food consumption has been one of the most strongly associated with positive health outcomes in relation to weight loss, metabolic health, hypertension and type 2 diabetes. And with that in mind, here's why I don't think full-blown vegan or vegetarianism is the solution to get everyone eating sustainably or in the most healthy way. Because it is definitely not the most feasible, realistic, fair or culturally acceptable approach. One thing that we don't, well there's many things, but a particular thing that gets me that we don't see talked about on social media enough is the major, major socioeconomic gap that exists in both developed and developing societies around food security. For many people, affording food is their major concern of the day or the week, not whether they should go vegan or not. So the reason I like the focus on sustainability is because it is an area within which we can all make a difference to both our health and the health of the environment. And actually it can be done in an accessible and affordable way without compromising our nutritional needs and health. One thing I learned from my master's in semester one pretty early on is how complicated behaviour change is. And health behaviours in particular are affected by internal, so i.e. within you, and external, i.e. outside you factors. Things like motivation, I think we're all familiar with that one, social and cultural norms, skills we have for cooking or for even reading a recipe, knowledge we have, income, what our family and friends around us do, the environment we live in, the food and facilities available to us, the list goes on. Like I've said before, we might all have the best intentions in the world to get healthy, but it doesn't translate to an overnight behaviour change. So if we start telling people of all backgrounds, like income backgrounds, education, occupation, to go vegan to save the planet, no, I'm sorry, but no, that doesn't work. It's not feasible, sustainable, um, acceptable to many, or actually even responsible to say that to every single person. And that brings me to the final key point before we get on to the nitty gritty, more sustainable tips. It's really important with all of this in mind that nutritional and sustainability priorities have to be balanced when we talk about or look at how diets can be changed to be more sustainable for the environment. Encouraging total elimination of food groups such as meat or dairy isn't really responsible because for many people these are foods which might provide a major source of protein and micronutrients things like iron, vitamin D, B12 and calcium to many people. On top of that, a lot of people may not possess adequate knowledge or skills in terms of food preparation to know how to properly replace foods that they've removed with plant-sourced alternatives, particularly people who have less ability to afford certain foods. Additionally, people might replace eliminated foods with poor quality processed foods that might have a lower carbon footprint, but they aren't good for human health. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. So in our presentation for college, we did a really interesting, um, unusual presentation we did a little bit of a mock protest and we had sort of the farming industry on one side and we had the vegan um society representatives on the other side this was all kind of mock acting but our goal with the presentation was to communicate a public health message that would be accessible to many different people listening and we also wanted to present the extremes of each side of the argument in terms of vegetarianism and veganism versus 
the kind of typical Western diet, which might be higher in animal-based foods. So we developed five key messages and I'm going to share them with you. They are all in the blog post that I shared in November and they are all in the most recent Friday Focus as well. So number one was meat as a treat. So while I'm not a fan of labeling foods as treats or classifying foods as good or bad, this was our catchy meat as a treat slogan for our presentation. And I do think that it has use here because when you see something as a treat, whether it's chocolate bar or meat, you tend to appreciate the times when you do have it more as opposed to taking it for granted. And as I've said, globally, we do overconsume animal protein. And from a sustainability point of view, there is a definite value in cutting down meat intake in favour of plant-based protein alternatives. Red meat has received a lot of media attention in the last couple of years after the WHO, International Agency for Research on Cancer, in 2015 classified red meat as a group 2A probable carcinogen and processed red meat was given a group 1 classification as carcinogenic to humans. Both these classifications were based on evidence which found associations with colorectal cancer and these associations were found to be limited in the case of red meat and sufficient i.e. sufficient to class it as a group 1 carcinogen in the case of processed red meats. In Ireland, the Irish Cancer Society in 2015 recommended reducing cooked red meat intake to less than 500 grams per week. And in the UK, the Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition recommends those who are consuming 90 grams of red or processed meat a day should reduce it to 70 grams per day or less. Broadly speaking, with meat, I think it's important to remember we don't need to eliminate it to help the environment or our health, but reducing our intake and not overconsuming it and not making it the focus of our diet is a great route to take right now. And on that point, I also do have a blog post with um, previously written with a dietitian friend of mine called Catherine Downey, so shout out to Catherine. And we have also suggested in that blog post some really simple plant-based swaps you could make, for example, cooking a lentil bolognese instead of a um, beef mince bolognese and you can check that out on the blog post and just send me um, a comment if you can't find it and I'll link it to you. Our second topic or message I should say was varying your dairy. So current recommendations in Ireland are to consume up to three servings of dairy per day and low fat varieties where possible. Dairy has been getting a bit of a bashing in terms of the carbon footprint from cattle but it is still a major source of macro and micronutrients for many people and is associated with a wide range of health benefits. For example, for many people, it's a major source of protein, calcium and vitamin D. And importantly, there has been a major trend towards people choosing a lot of dairy alternatives to certain foods. Um, and it's really important if people are doing that to ensure that the brands that they're getting are fortified with calcium because of how much of our calcium we do get from dairy. Our third take on point was power up with plants. And as you guys will know, there is a lot of fantastic and very nutritious sources for plant-derived protein. And these foods are usually great sources of fiber and other micronutrients too. So I'm talking about the beans, the chickpeas, lentils, nuts, seeds. Yes, that includes nut butter. And then on the more fancy end of the scale, there's products like tofu, tempeh, and you guys might've heard of corn before. So there's many different meat alternative products on the market now. A lot of supermarkets actually do their own brand versions of these two, things like veggie burgers and sausages, which will have varying qualities depending on where you're getting them from. As I've said before, we know that as a population, both here and in the UK, we don't eat enough fiber. So boosting our intake of these is a really great way to do that. And a lot of them are great options as substitutes for meat. You're going half and half in a recipe. So for example, taking out half the mince in your chili and using kidney beans, or like I say, doing a lentil bolognese, all are really nice options. And chickpeas um, go great in curries and dolls, just FYI. So number four was five a day, every day. You can see we tried to make them rhyme a little bit. 
the message here, as I said in my New Year's resolution podcast, was five a day minimum and more of your intake coming from vegetables and fruit in your five a day and ideally aiming for maybe seven. Importantly, for the best effect on the environment, um, it has been said we should aim to buy seasonal produce and go for loose fruits and vegetables, minimizing our plastic packaging. All in all, fruits and veg, as I've said, are major sources for us. Fiber, lots and lots of micronutrients, like they're nutritional powerhouses. And we also know that most of us aren't getting enough of our five a day. So that is definitely one place we can start. As I also said in my New Year's post, um, not forgetting about whole grains and choosing brown over white varieties of foods like breads, rice and pasta is a really great swap we can make for our own health too. Finally, a quick side note, which actually wasn't in our presentation, but I did want to mention was on fish. So the current recommendations in Ireland and the UK are to consume up to two portions of fish per week, one of which should be oily. And that's because oily fish is a good source, a really important source for us of omega-3 fatty acids, essential fatty acids. From a sustainability point of view, the BDA highlights the importance of ensuring the fish you buy are from quality sources of credible, sustainable standards. And you might see that on the label. So you can see sometimes a label called MSE, which is the UK Marine Conservation Society. Um, so it's important to look out for that if you're buying, for example, um, tin varieties of fish. Oily fish I love um, is the salmon and mackerel, and often that's just the tin variety. I won't go into the issue you guys might have seen talked about, which is overfishing. It's just beyond the scope of the podcast at the moment. But in the meantime, it is important to check the label on what you buy. The final point that I wanted to make, which we did do also in our presentation, was that food is more than fuel. Food is a really, really big part of our culture in every different society. It's a big part of family and friendship. And it's what brings people together. I think we're probably all familiar with that, having just finished up Christmas and the new year. Um, and whether your Christmas dinner had turkey or meat in it or not, it's still an occasion that brings people together and is a social activity. I'm going to finish this post with um, a really nice group set of characteristics that I found, um, which was developed by the Food and Agriculture Organization in a report called Plates, Pyramids and Planets. And the group described the characteristics of diets of low environmental impact consistent with good health. And really, it reiterates a lot of what I've just said and what the BDA have said too. So these characteristics included a diversity of food intake, i.e. lots of different types, achieving energy balance between intake and what we need, a diet that's based on minimally processed tubers, whole grains, legumes, fruits and vegetables, so our pairing up with our plants, moderating meat and dairy intake, consuming oils and fats with a beneficial omega-3 and 6 ratio, eating small quantities of fish sourced from certified fisheries and a very limited intake of high fat, salt and sugar foods. The final point to make, I feel like I've made a final, final, final point, is that a lot of us making very simple changes would have a massive, massive impact on the environment. Just adhering to the healthy dietary guidelines that are already in place would actually do a lot of good for the environment, our physical and our mental health and that of our future generations. So your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids, your dog's grandkids, all of the above. I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite quotes, which is from the author Michael Pollan. And you probably have heard it before, but it is still one of my favorites. And it's eat food, eat foods, not too much, mostly plants. Now, I'm not saying it's that easy or that any of the changes that we want to make will happen overnight. But I firmly believe that awareness and education can inspire, encourage, empower and promote change and start a movement. And in this case, help us shift our dietary patterns to those that help secure the health, the environment and ourselves, human beings. 
with each being given equal priority for a sustainable future. So thank you for bearing with me. That was a little bit of a longer one. Um, I will be sharing a little bit of a follow-up um, article on my blog with three reasons why I am plant-based. Um, plant-based as I've defined it with the BDA definition as opposed to vegan. And I hope it'll be a good read for you guys. I really enjoyed writing it. And a lot of what I've said in this podcast will come out in that blog post too. So um, I'd love to hear your feedback on this and would love to hear from you. So leave me a comment, uh, send me an email, pop me a DM, follow the podcast and uh, anything you ever want to see in the podcast as well. Just let me know. I'd be really excited to hear your feedback and I hope that this episode resonated with you guys and hopefully cleared up some of the myths um, out there. As I said, I'm a doctor, public health advocate and doing this master's in public health and nutrition. I don't stay out of my lane in terms of nutrition, but I think sustainability is an issue that applies to us all. And it's one that I am more than happy to talk about. So looking forward to tuning in again with you guys next week. Um, I won't tell you what we're talking about yet. It'll be a surprise and I'll share it with you next week. Bye.